All right. Well, hey, to, today we are starting a new sermon series. I know what you're thinking. We were supposed to have one more sermon on Anchor DNA because we were talking about community. I've decided, a lot of people are traveling and out of town, I decided to save the last sermon on community for the end of the summer when most people are back and we're about ready to relaunch small groups, which means we are launching into the next series, which is the Apologetic series this morning. It's called Conversation Killers. What does it mean? It means that you and I, we want to learn to share our faith with courage and confidence, right? Evangelism is one of our pillars. Let's face it, in this day of uh, an age of outrage, it's hard to have good spiritual conversations with people because those conversations can get derailed very quickly. Either the other person isn't really interested in talking about spiritual stuff, or you kind of lose it, and uh, then at the end of it, you're like, oh, I blew it. However things go wrong, we have to learn how to talk to other people about our faith. So apologetics is a way, uh, one way of sharing your faith, where you have a great spiritual conversation. You learn to ask questions of the other person so that you can know what they believe and how they're feeling and thinking about faith. Then you share your faith as well. Often it's in a rational, logical manner, but sometimes it's more the underpinnings of theology and worldview. We've done many uh, uh, apologetic series in the past. This one, uh, Conversation Killers, here's what it's going to cover. If you're talking to somebody about faith and then suddenly they say something, it's a conversation killer and you don't know what to say after that sentence, the conversation dies. And we're going to cover several of them in the coming weeks. Like, I could never worship and serve a God who sends people to hell. I could never follow a God or trust him because he allows so much suffering in the world. Well, you know, all religions basically teach the same thing. These are examples of if you're having a conversation and someone says that, well, all religions basically teach the same thing. The conversation is now over unless you know what to say next. So it's really zeroing in on keeping at that moment knowing how to keep the conversation going when they shoot out a conversation killer. If you know how to keep it going, you might not know where it's going to go, but you can have confidence the conversation will continue. So week one here, the first one, we're going to talk about the Bible. If someone says something about the Bible, well, you can't trust that book anyway. The conversation is now over unless you know how to keep that conversation going. Uh, I want to share with you um, a video clip that went viral. It was uh, a reporter, uh, and she was making a you know, conversation about something going on in the world. Then she started talking about faith and religion and Christianity. But listen carefully to what she says about the Bible. Check it out. I don't care that you're a Christian. I don't care what the Bible says. Like, I feel like it's a clown show like sitting here trying to decipher what your little mythical book has to say about these very real political issues, right? I don't care if you're Christian. In fact, I will fight for you to have your religious liberty and practice your Christianity. I believe in that. I don't believe in Christianity, which means that you do not get to dictate the way I live my life based on your religion. Well, well. Did you hear what she said? She said, I don't care what your little mythical book says. I think that reflects how a lot of people think about the Bible today. You have an old little mythical book, and I don't care what it says. Last year, we did a, a sermon on the Bible that's called, You Can't Trust That Book. 
If you're interested in learning more of the facts about the Bible and how it was put together and how it was transmitted, that's a different angle. We're going to post that online so you can check that out. The angle we're taking today is, what if I'm talking to somebody who just doesn't care? They think it's an old mythical book. They don't know why they should care about that. So the sermon is called, Why Would I Care About Your Old Mythical Book? And I hope this is going to help you to keep a conversation going about God's Word. Each week, if we have time at the end, I'm actually going to give you a chance to ask questions so you can learn how to share and defend your faith. So be thinking throughout this sermon, if you have a question you would like me to address, I'm going to actually let you share that at the end of this sermon if we have time, all right? Let's pray, and then we'll get into God's Word together. Thank you, Jesus, for this opportunity to learn how to share our faith with other people. Lord, we get so nervous when the conversation turns to God morality, when it turns to faith, uh, sometimes it's sprung upon us and we don't know what to do and we get upset or overwhelmed. Sometimes there's just a little crack in the door that opens and someone makes a comment about losing heart, losing faith. Get us ready for those moments and give us divine appointments this week to share our faith with others. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, the uh, key verse for today is going to be 1 Thessalonians 2.13, but all the verses are going to be put up on the screen. Now, here's what I want you to do first in your notes. Number one, I want you to learn how to ask a good question. If you want a great conversation, you have to ask a great question. So if the Bible comes up in a conversation when you're talking to somebody, here's what you can say. Number one, jot this down. Do you believe God speaks? Let's say I was sitting down with that reporter and she had kind of calmed down a little bit because she was pretty fired up in that moment. And I said, I'd love to have a great spiritual conversation with you. One of the first things I would ask is, do you believe God speaks? We have to have that underpinning of wondering if God has made himself known before we can get to what we believe about the Bible. So my daughter, a couple days ago, graduated high school. Cassie graduated high school. We've got some pictures here. And it was really awesome. She got to walk the stage. It was four years of hard work. Uh, we took pictures. And she's got flowers. And um, I was invited to give the commencement address at Chicago Christian High School. Uh, which I was, I was more nervous about that than I am usually about preaching. I don't know why, but I had to get the speech just right. Um, and then I was on stage, so I got a pretty cool picture of Cassie walking across the stage. Now look, I am her father, and I spoke at her commencement address. That could be verified, and the words that I shared were really intended to lift people's eyes up toward Jesus Christ. So here's the question. Has the Father in heaven spoken to us? Has he said things? Has he communicated to us? That question will define your entire worldview. Has God spoken? If you, and notice how I'm asking a question. Sure, you could say to someone, well, the word of God is living and active. All right, you're already preaching at them. Guess what? They're not going to listen. Ask a question. Hey, do you believe that God speaks? That's a great question. Now, how are people going to respond when you ask that question? They might say, yes, and then they might say some things like, well, yeah, God speaks to me in my heart subjectively, or maybe um, externally. Some people believe, oh, yeah, out there through nature, I hear God, I see him in the stars, and I've had these natural things happen that God was talking to me. So they might say some things that we don't necessarily um, agree with. They might say, no, God doesn't speak. No, they might say they don't believe in a God. They might say that God is there, but he just has never said anything. What are you doing? You're double-clicking that file, and you're trying to see what's inside their heart. 
Do you believe God speaks? You're also putting the burden on them, not just to criticize what you believe, but to go on record with what they think. Now, it's kind of a fair fight. It's kind of an open conversation. Here's what 1 Peter 3.15 says. It says this, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. So you've got your faith nailed down, but you're always prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect. So if someone said to you, why would I care about your little old mythical book? Okay, it's on, right? You've got your faith nailed down. You're ready to make a defense for, for anyone who's, you know, curious about the reason, yet you're going to do it with gentleness and respect. You're not going to all caps on Facebook, drop some nukes, you know, and, and be belligerent. The way you share your faith matters. And what I'm saying first to you is, be a great listener. Do you know how many times Jesus would ask a question before? Do you think Jesus could have walked around all day long and said, you're wrong and here's why? You're wrong and here's why. Don't you think he could have done that? He could have <clears throat> slayed people by revealing their deepest, darkest secrets and then being like, see, that's what I'm talking about. Now get on your knees and repent. What did he do? He always would, he would just ask a question, right? He would, he would ask a question. And, and because of that, he would keep the conversation going. Of course he would bring the truth. Sometimes he would even flip, flip over tables, you know, if the moment was right. But overall, he would have great ongoing spiritual um, conversations. Do you believe God speaks? Jot this down. Now, after you ask that question, you can say, I believe the Bible is God's voice to everyone. Now you're sharing your truth. Do you believe God speaks? And then they say what they say. You listen attentively. Then you get to the point where you say, I believe the Bible is God's voice to everyone. Why would I believe in your little old mythical book? Why well, believe the Bible is God's voice to everyone? The Bible is God's speech. His commencement address to the world. You're giving them a why. This is why you should listen to the Bible. In 1 Thessalonians 2.13, which is our theme verse for the day, here's what it says. It says, we also thank God constantly for this. That when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. Paul was talking to this newer church, and one of the fundamental things that he was acknowledging was, you understood that what we shared with you was not our thoughts, it was from God. God was speaking through us, to you. So we believe God's voice, the Bible is God's voice to everyone. Now maybe they'll agree, maybe they won't agree. It doesn't matter. You're sharing with them something that they have to reckon with. I believe the Bible is God's voice to everyone. Maybe they have, you know, a respect for the Bible. They wouldn't go that far. You know, maybe they start talking about the errors and the contradictions or whatever. Maybe they've got problems with the Bible. Or maybe they disagree with you and they're like, yeah, I, I don't think so. Either way, you're guiding them down this road of thinking more theologically about why they would even give the Bible a chance. Do you believe God speaks? I believe that the Bible is God's voice to everyone. Now, for me, I don't know if you grew up, how many of you grew up in the church and you learned Bible verses, right? And maybe you went to a, a program where you memorized verses and you got your little patches on your vest and put up your hand if that's you. Okay, my hand is not up. 
because I didn't grow up in the church, and I didn't really know anything about the Bible. Even as a senior in high school, when I started taking an interest in, uh, you know, faith and stuff, I didn't know the difference between the Old Testament and the New. It was all a mystery to me. So when I started going to church as a freshman in college, I didn't believe this book was, you know, what it says it is. And I, I would question and challenge the miracles and, and the, the teachings in it. One time I had a Bible, I was so frustrated, I just threw it across the driveway because I was having an argument with my friend about faith. That was, whew, future pastor, throwing the Bible across the driveway. All right, that's my starting point. And then I'd meet with the pastor and bring my list of questions you know, the internet was brand new, and I found sites online that could give me ammunition when I met with the pastor to ask him questions. I really challenged everything, but I came to agree that the Bible is God's voice to everyone. And do you know that that's something you don't have to prove? Well, prove it. No, that's not. Look, what I'm telling you is God is speaking in that book. So sometimes, you know, I'll just say, why don't you open it up and read the book of Mark? and give it a chance. That's when you know, when they're actually giving it a chance, and they're reading, God will work. God's Spirit will work in their heart, showing them this is no ordinary book. So you don't have to feel any pressure to prove that. You're just leading them to understand what we believe about this book. So do you believe God speaks? Ask that question. I believe the Bible is God's voice to everyone. And then you can ask them this question too. How can we know who God is and what He expects? How can we know who God is and what he expects? So you've asked a question, do you believe God speaks? Maybe they say yes, maybe they say no. You've shared your faith, well, I believe it's God's voice. Maybe they agree with you, maybe they don't. Now you're asking another probing question. Who gets to speak for God? More often than not, people will agree with you that God speaks. They will agree with you often that the Bible is, you know, one of the best books. But they won't necessarily go all the way into saying that it is the authorized way that God speaks. So this question is really good. How can we know who God is and what he expects? By now in the conversation, maybe they've said that they've read some Eastern literature, you know, they're confused about that, and they've kind of fogged up how we know who God is and who gets to speak for him. So one of the things I might say is, Lauren and I started watching a new Netflix series about a cult, and this cult had a prophet, and this prophet spoke for God. He formed a community around himself of 8,000 people where he convinced them he was the only voice for God and everyone had to do what he said, when he said, to get to heaven. He and his church owned all the land, all the property, all of the businesses of this 8,000 person community belonged to him. Now, do you think that he alone spoke for God? Now, of course, most people would say, no, I don't believe that. Okay, well, how do we know who does speak for God? That's the second question. But how can we know who God is and what he expects? 2 Timothy 3.16, let's put that up on the screen. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. We believe that though humans wrote the Bible, it is God-breathed. It is from the lips of God that they were able um, to write. So here's the second thing you can write down. Who's authorized to speak for God? Who's authorized to speak for God? How can we know who God is? How can we know what he expects? Who can tell us such things? That'll get the conversation going really well. What makes the authors so special and different from the cult guy on Netflix, right? Why would I listen to them? 
In Hebrews 1, 1 to 2, here's what it says. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, what does it say there? God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. That's the Old Testament. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Jesus is, of course, the ultimate uh, full and final revelation of God. And all of the revelation in the Old Testament led to and prepared the world for Christ Jesus. So who is authorized to speak for God? Well, we believe that the authors of the Scripture, with the Spirit working in them, were authorized by God to give a message with God's authority. It's so important that we define who God is. It's so important that we define what He expects. If we can't define that, then whatever else you believe in your own personal truth, anything goes out there. Anything goes. So we have to clearly agree that there is a God, he has an identity, and he has revealed himself to be a certain type of God who has certain expectations. Otherwise, we open ourselves up to anything. Uh, a woman named Anne Lamott, who's kind of a progressive activist, wrote a book about prayer, and here's what she said about prayer in her book. She said this, Let's not get bogged down on whom or what we pray to. Let's just say prayer is a communication from our hearts to the great mystery, or goodness, or Howard. To the animating energy of love, we are sometimes bold enough to believe in. To something unimaginably big, and not us. We could call this force not me, and not preachers on stage with a choir of 800. Or for convenience, we could just say God. Now, what has she done? She has stripped God of any identity. She said God is any goodness, Howard, doesn't matter. No, she says nothing matters less than, than the identity of what we pray to, right? So here's the thing. If if we don't agree that there has to be a definition of God, that he has to reveal himself, anything goes. God can just be a bedpost, right? Uh, so we have to say, who is authorized to speak for God to get an answer to how can we know who God is and what he expects? Here's what we believe. Jot this down. I believe the Holy Spirit must guide the authors. Who's authorized to speak for God? Well, the Holy Spirit has to guide the authors. In other words, God himself has to do the one, the authoring of the revelation. We believe that God himself must make himself known. And we believe that God has made himself known. When it comes to how God reveals himself, the Holy Spirit guides um, the authors and um, reveals himself. So there's two major forms of revelation that we believe in the Bible. Creation declares the glory of God. So is it possible to be out watching a beautiful sunset over a scenic mountain range in front of a lake with animals and birds all around and to feel like you're hearing something about God? Yes. Yeah, the heavens declare the glories of God. Nature tells us the basics. There is a God. He's powerful and wise and loving and good, and he's made this world for life. You can get that signal through creation, but you can't get beyond that. You can't learn the specifics of how to know him or how to get saved by watching a tree flow in the wind. You can't do that. You can, in fact, start to go 
really too far down the road of what we believe about God through nature if you don't understand its purpose. So when God wants to reveal himself, creation is where he begins, but then there's what's called special revelation. God will actually reveal himself in special ways. Then we know we're learning the God who's introducing himself. This is again a concept you're not going to be able to prove to people because we're talking about the Trinity here. So if people are just going to doubt it, they're going to be like, well, how do you know that's true? I doubt that there is even a Holy Spirit. That's where God has to take over and you say, look, I can't fully define it. What I'm telling you is a reality that you are free to experience if you seek it out. God is revealing himself. God is speaking. He's doing it through creation. He's also doing it through the canon. He's doing it through scripture, through the Holy Spirit. You're just clarifying for them the flow of why they should care about the Bible. In 2 Peter 1.21, we read about our doctrine of scripture and inspiration. Peter says, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So through their natural expression, the Spirit of God was authoring the scripture. In Deuteronomy 18.18, God said to Moses, here's what it says, I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Do you hear that? I will put my words in his mouth. Do you see why we believe the Bible is the very word of God? And in John 14, 26, Jesus said this, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, would be the one governing the process of generating scripture through the apostles in the New Testament. Why would I care about your little old mythical book? Well, do you believe God speaks? I do. I think the Bible is God's voice to everyone. Well, how can we know who God is and what he expects? Well, we need to know who's authorized to speak for God. And we believe that the Holy Spirit himself must guide the authors. Because God himself was guiding the production of the Bible, we can discern who spoke from God and who didn't. Do you know there were laws in the Old Testament that said if a prophet claimed to speak for God and what he said didn't come to pass, he needed to be put to death. It was a serious charge to claim to speak for God. And if you were wrong, it was a capital crime. You didn't survive the day. Do you know in the New Testament, if you read the book of Revelation, there's a giant warning at at the end of, of our collection of books. Anyone who adds to or takes away from this book, all the plagues mentioned within it will fall upon him. Giant warnings for tampering with the word of God. We are not to add to it or to take away from it. Or there's severe penalties that are attached to that. So when it comes to questions you can ask, who's authorized to speak for God? Let them talk. Let them talk and then point out, hey, if we just let anyone speak for God, we could end up in a cult, right? There has to be some majorly high standards. Don't you think God himself has to be the one guiding what this person is saying or writing? Don't you feel like that has to be the standard? Jot this down. Then you could say, you know, I believe God revealed himself in mighty ways in the Bible. So these are the things that authenticate why our Bible is truly the word of God. God spoke to Moses through a burning bush, a bush that didn't burn up. They call it the butane bush. Moses, Moses, a burning bush talked to a man. 
That is a wonder that God created to get Moses' attention. Then God lit an entire mountain on fire at Mount Sinai. Sinai trembled, the earth quaked, and, and the whole mountain was on fire while God's voice boomed so loudly, people begged that it would stop. And if anyone touched the mountain, they would die because God was revealing himself and speaking over the gigantic loudspeaker of heaven for the whole nation to hear. God revealed himself in mighty ways. God spoke to Joshua through an angel with a drawn sword before they were to go into the land of conquest and take Jericho. Uh, the angel of the Lord appeared with a drawn sword, and God spoke to Joshua through that figure. God spoke to David through the prophet Nathan. Nathan showed up and talked to David about something David had done and had hidden. There was no way Nathan could have known this, but God brought it to light. And he, remember, he told a little story about the person who had the baby sheep and they loved it. And then the straight, there's a story. And then David was like, oh, that guy deserves to die, right? And then the prophet was like, that's you. That's you. So God miraculously revealed things that were hidden in secret. God spoke to Jesus with a thundering voice from heaven at his baptism and later in his ministry on the mountain of transfiguration. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. God spoke from heaven. Those who heard it said it was like thunder. God authenticated the message and the messengers through mighty awesome deeds. God also revealed his power and his presence. He pounded Egypt with plague after plague as the messenger of God warned them what was coming. Moses parted the Red Sea through a great wonder. Elijah raised the dead. Joseph told the future uh, over 14 years of what's coming. Well, there's going to be seven years of this and then seven years of that. Over a decade of the future revealed to Pharaoh through Joseph the messenger. And the apostles, they spoke at great risk to themselves. They were all thrown in jail at one point. Then they were set free and God said, go and tell this people the message of life. They went right back into the city to talk about Jesus. God protected them. He delivered them from jail. He would open the jail, just cling, and they could walk out. Wonderful things happened to authenticate the message and the messengers. So you can have confidence that wherever there's scripture in the New Testament and the Old, the messengers and were authenticated with God showing up and speaking in powerful, mighty ways and proving that these were people who had authority to speak for him. In 2 Peter 1.16, it says this, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Eyewitnesses. All the apostles would go on to die for their faith perhaps except John, it's unlikely that they would know that this was false and still go on to die for it. They signed it with their blood. So we have no reason to doubt the authors were genuine, reliable messengers who spoke for God. So if someone is like, I don't care about the Bible, why would I care about your little old mythical book? Do you think God speaks? Hey, that'll take you down a good road of conversation. I think God, the Bible is God's voice to everyone. Hey, how do you know who God is and what he expects? And, and you can ask the question, who, who is authorized to speak for God? Who's the authority on the matter? I believe that the Holy Spirit has to guide the authors. I believe God revealed himself in mighty ways through these authors. 
Can you hear how this conversation could flow? Where you be, you're being so gracious while asking questions, while you're being so courageous in sharing your faith. I'm actually just really modeling for you how a conversation could keep going when someone just kill shots your book. All right, what, what's the third thing you can ask? Well, here's how you can culminate it. If God speaks, shouldn't we listen? You started by asking, does God speak? And now you're, if God speaks, shouldn't we listen? You know, if God has said some things, don't you think that we should listen to that? Well, the Bible's just outdated. It's unscientific. It's, it's offensive. Plus, truth is whatever you want to make it, and you can interpret it however you want. And I know there's a bunch of errors in there. And whatever they say, yeah, but if God speaks, shouldn't we listen? Make them answer that question. They might try and dodge it. But look, if God has spoken, if God has spoken, don't you think we should listen? Do you hear the power in that question? And as they maybe try and wiggle out from under it, do you see the power of just sustaining that? I just want an answer from you. If God has spoken, don't you think we should listen? Well, we don't even know how. I know, I know. But if he has spoken, don't you think we should listen? It's really a yes. And this question is what makes the message so special? Okay, well, maybe he did. Okay, what makes the message so special? And you can anticipate that people, as this conversation is going on, they might get uncomfortable. They might get defensive. And you know what? That's okay. I like what comedian Dick Cavett once said. He said, it's a rare person who wants to hear what he doesn't want to hear. Right? Of course it might get a little uncomfortable. Of course it might get a little unpleasant. They might not want to hear it. It's a rare person who wants to hear what he doesn't want to hear. If God speaks, shouldn't we listen? And then you can push a little bit more. You could say something like this. The original audience was held accountable to the message. Do you know when they heard that voice from on Mount Sinai, they were held accountable to what they heard. Do you know Jesus would frequently say, you're accountable. You're accountable for what you hear from God. The original audience was held accountable to the message for them. Now, of course, we believe in the literal, historical, grammatical message, uh, method of interpreting the Bible, which means it started with an original message for the original audience. And it was binding on them from heaven to do what they had heard. So it was binding. And 1 Corinthians 10, 11, though, tells us that there was more going on than that. It says, now these things happened to them, Old Testament, as an example. But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So in the Old Testament, they were held accountable to what God revealed, but it was also for us. So yes, the Israelites were judged because the ten spies came back and gave a bad report about the land. They were sentenced to 40 years in the wilderness because they were held accountable to what they heard and what they didn't believe. By the way, the ten spies who came back with the bad report died same day. Same day service for them. All right. So they were held accountable if God spoke to what they heard. Jot this down. The entire world is going to be held accountable to the message. You're putting some teeth on it now. If God speaks, shouldn't we listen? Well, yeah, probably. Hey, the original audience, man, they had to respond. And look, the whole world is going to be held accountable to the message. It bears God's authority because it is God's voice. Hebrews 3.15 says this. We'll put that verse up on the screen. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, 
Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Do you know I, I get the honor and privilege of preaching here each week, right? And I get to share a message that I put together, you know, from scratch. And I share some of my life stories and, you know, and I tie it into this world. But, but listen, what, what's coming out of this book is binding on your soul in heaven. Today, if you hear his voice through me, you are held accountable by God himself to receive it and to respond to it. Wow, that's an authoritative message from God. So jot this down. The last question you can ask is, are you willing to give the Bible a chance? Are you willing to give the Bible a chance? Why would I care about your little old mythical book? Well, do you believe God speaks? How do you decide who's authorized to speak for God? If God speaks, shouldn't we listen? And you kind of seal it off with, are you willing to give it a chance? Do you see how I'm getting us ready for just keeping the conversation going when they're like, that book, it's mythology. Conversation's over unless you can say, do you think God speaks? Oh, now we're back in it. My goal is to help you keep the conversation going. And if you get all the way through to the point where you're like, are you willing to give it a chance? Great. You might not, but you kept it going. That's the goal. And don't worry about how people react when you share your faith. George Hallis, right, Bears fans, George Hallis said, one time in San Francisco Stadium, they gave me a standing boo. Everyone in the stadium stood up and gave him a standing boo. They might give you a standing boo. Oh, well. Were you gracious? Were you kind? Were you polite? Were you courageous? Were you truthful? When the conversation looked dead, did you bring it back to life? Give yourself a pat on the back. That's what it means to share your faith with other people. Well, look, we covered a lot of ground here, and this is just week one. I have a little time here. I'd love to give you a chance to maybe throw a few questions out there that you might want me to respond to. Um, and I think that some of what we're going to do is we're going to cover some of these topics at length in the future. So I might not give you like a super long answer, um, but I might give you just a little bit of an answer to get us going. So if you have a question, I have a microphone, and I would like for you to be able to answer your question. I need somebody who's kind of a volunteer to be my runner. Corey, will you be my runner with the microphone? Come on up. If somebody puts their hand up, just get to them quick and give them a chance to ask their question. Put your hand up if you have a question that you either have, you want an answer to, or you know someone else needs an answer to this, and I'd love to help you if I can. All right, Jan, go ahead and ask your question. This is my neighbor. He said, he said to me, so what you're saying is your God made a defective product. In what? In what? Speaking about original sin and how the garden was. Oh, so God made a mistake because he created us and we were broken. Okay, so the question is, did God make a mistake because, when, because he made people who, who are now broken? God made us broken. Right, okay, good. So how would you answer that? In your mind, you should first of all say, this question ties into the major category of morality, origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. Those are the big four. He's making a moral claim that God did something wrong because humans are sinful, okay? So you might even say that back to the person. So are you asking me, did God do something wrong because he made humans sinful? Yes. Okay. 
um, you can go back to Genesis and clearly show that God did not put sin in humans. God did not create sin in humans. Did he create the potential for sin? Yeah, but that's much different. You know, I have a television on my screen, on my wall at home. Um, is that potentially a murder weapon? Yes, but I have to remove it and go and, you know, hit somebody over the head with it. The designers didn't create a murder weapon. They created something that could be used as that. So God, nowhere in the scripture does it say that God created humanity to be sinful or to fall into sin. And he actually, in Eden, worked against that very purpose. Don't do this. There's one tree that's off limits, okay? Uh, he worked against that. So um, you have to also introduce the concept of meaning there. Remember when in the past we've talked about worldview, origin, meaning, morality, and destiny? It's good to fuse two of them together. Why were we made? For the purpose of knowing God, loving him, and pleasing him. That requires that we have the ability to make a conscious choice, Right? Uh, you know that if you decide you love someone and you go and knock on their door and say, hey, I love you, you're going to spend the rest of my life with me, let's go, uh, you're going to get arrested because love doesn't force the other person to love them back. That's not love. So God wants a loving relationship with us that allows for choice and we freely chose to fall into sin. Um, that's generally where the conversation can go. The answer is no, God did not make us broken and sinful he worked for the exact opposite of that. Who's got another question? Raise your hand up. Corey the runner is on the run. Thank you so much, Corey. Appreciate it. I like his hustle. Good job. Okay, go ahead. What's your question? Um, first of all, thank you for this topic. It's fantastic. You're yeah. covering it very well. Um, so the, for the third part where if God speaks, shouldn't we listen? Um, I, I love that. And, and I know you mentioned that before that we ask who is authorized to speak for God. But I could see somebody still saying, um, well, I don't believe that it is God speaking. It's people that wrote it. And it was so long ago that it's just like, you know, the telephone game, random people. So anyway, if they discredit it and they say, well, yeah, we should listen if God speaks, but that's not God speaking. How would you answer that? Yeah. Um, they, they're free to go down the trail of doubting. Um, they can easily say, well, I could discredit it because, you know, Paul could have lied. Um, what I would say is they have to decide how much weight they want to put in, in doubt. I can doubt it, therefore I won't believe it. Um, what I would say is that's a very faulty way to find truth. If I can doubt it, I won't believe it. You can doubt anything. And people can doubt everything about you. People can just start saying, I think what you just said is false. It, it's a total breakdown of truth. In addition, if I'm going to build a worldview based on, oh, if I can doubt it, I'm going to doubt it. Can't you doubt your doubts? Why is that a special protected category? How come your doubts are protected from doubting them? Do you see how that just collapses? So they have to come to a point where they're willing to be reasonable. Once they're willing to be reasonable, you can walk them into so many categories of the reliability of transmission of scripture, the integrity of the authors, they lay down their life, the idea and concept of miracles. You can be reasonable with reasonable people, but if they're just going to stay with their arms crossed and say, well, I can doubt it, so I'm going to doubt it, they have to come to a realization that they can't build a, a worldview based on that. They can't even build a life based on that. And if people start treating them that way, good luck. It just won't work. All right, good. Another question? Corey the Runner. Thank you so much. How would you answer um, if someone said to you, 
But your theology is not my theology. So just simply saying, that's your truth, this right. is my truth. So it's subjective. Okay. Is that what you're saying? You're saying yes. there's Yeah, okay. So what, what they're saying is their understanding of truth is it's derived from inside the person, okay? Um, that's something they have to prove, and they have to be able to say that. They can't just say that. They have to establish that that's true. So if they're, and we're going to spend a whole week on that. Um, we're going to talk about, well, that's just your truth. That's a conversation killer. Well, that's what you believe, but what I believe is different. It gets to the nature of truth. Can we generate truth from inside of ourselves? Very quickly, you can say we as individual people are so greatly limited in our ability to define and understand reality. There must be a higher source of truth. Therefore, we believe truth is transcendent. It's above everyone. It applies to everyone. And one of the best ways to um, respond to that, act, to that um, view of truth is so if that's what you believe, then anyone can just believe anything, right? There's no right or wrong. They will not agree to that, right? My cult friend on Netflix, who I'm watching that show, is he right? It's very disturbing to watch that. And they have to get to the point where if they're willing to say, well, truth is just what each individual person makes it, they have to go on record and agree with every single individual's version of truth. They won't do that. What they will do is, they'll do what all humans do. They will start holding other people to their definition of the truth. Morally. They will not allow for everyone to believe everything. you got to allow them for John Wayne Gacy's truth. you got to allow them for Saddam Hussein's truth. They won't do that. They will start putting morals around other people. And guess what? That's what humans do. We long for an objective truth that's within a moral framework yeah, everyone wants that. Yeah, Corey. Yeah, I actually want to kind of piggyback off of that. We had uh, like kind of like a social outing, and we got into the conversation, and this person was a uh, practicing Buddhist or something, and uh, I tried to witness this person, and it was similar to what she's saying, well, about the many truths. She's like, well, there's other ways to God, and I tried to explain, you know, well, there's other gods and stuff, and I, I, it was a conversation killer because I said, well, there's only one way to Yahweh. You know, and there are other gods and ways to that. And she's like, yeah, but and it just kept going into like a circle till the conversation. You can get ended. stuck. And th that'll be the last question this week, by the way. But you can get stuck in that as soon as you bring morality into it. Are you really okay with this person's truth over you? They will have to admit they're not. They will have to take their morality and encompass someone else with it, right? Um, I was, I was uh, talking at Shepherd High School once during lunch and a girl raised her hand and said, People should just be able to love whoever they love, right? And I said, do you have a boyfriend? She's like, yeah. I said, can he love anyone in this room? And she goes, no. <laughs> no. She put a very strong moral boundary around him. He can only love her because that's what humans do. We hold other people to our standard of morality. We do. That's why social media is full of outrage. We hold other people to our standard of morality. So for someone to say, well, you believe what you want. I believe what I They don't believe that. They hold other people in traffic to their standard of good driving. They do. And if they get cut off, they will not say, well, you know, they have their own form of it. All right. I hope that what this is modeling for you is church is the place where we can respectfully and rationally answer the toughest questions. I hope you come ready next week because we're going to do this again. And uh, I'm going to close in prayer right now. And then our worship team is going to come up and close us out with one more song. But let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have challenged us to love you with all of our 
hearts, souls, and our mind. So we pray that you would help us in our mind to think through some of these um, objections to our faith, these conversation killers. Uh, really, our heart, Jesus, is that when a conversation's about to die with someone we love, that you would keep it going. Give us the courage to not let it die, but to keep it going, whether it's in text or uh, through Facebook Messenger or on Instagram or whatever, whether it's face-to-face. Give us that courage to not allow a conversation to die, but to keep pushing it forward so that we can ultimately get to sharing our faith with people who desperately need it. Help us to do this with gentleness and respect. And we pray all this in your mighty name. Amen.